I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this, talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hi, Lynx. Hey, Shanti. How's it going? Uh, not bad. I tried to turn my little studio here into a zen and peaceful spot, so I made myself a cup of chamomile, lavender, mint tea. I lit a candle, non-scented, and then... I burned my hair. Oh my god, no. There was a but there was a bug flying around cuz there's still flies in my room. It's like farmhouse and it's like winter now, but they're somehow still getting in and I just can't stand the noise. So I have a <laughs> I have a fly swatter right by my window. So I leaned over the candle forgetting it was there to get the oh no. The fly swatter and I was like, "What's that smell?" <laughs> I, I had just washed and like blow-dried my hair and then I I burnt a chunk of it off. Uh, you never forget that smell once you've smelled it, too. I guess I'll smell it. We've been talking. We had a little chat before I hit record here for like 10 minutes, and I can still <laughs> smell it. So, yeah. Oh, man. Well, I'm sure you still look beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> well, do you want to start talking about uh, the Bee Gees? That's on Broadway. I can't gonna do that falsetto, gonna uh, but you're, hit- <laughs> you're hitting it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I was actually um, 
I don't actually know the lyrics to that song, but I had just rewatched the YouTube video where Justin Timberlake and Jimmy Fallon do that sketch on SNL, the, the Barry Gibb talk show. I You sent it to me before this. It was my first time ever seeing it. It was very hilarious. Very, very good. I'm glad Talking you sent about it. Just hair. Talking about crazy cool <laughs> <laughs> So those two guys are obviously like big fans. And it was funny because this is like jumping ahead a little bit, but that's fine because we always start from the beginning and get back to it. I was reminded of that sketch as I was watching this documentary. And then probably five or 10 minutes later, Justin Timberlake popped up being like, the Beaches are the fucking best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, when you sent the clip, I didn't realize it was Timberlake till I was watching it. And I was like, oh, wow. Like he actually even did a skit and he actually looked kind of like them. Like he was nailing it. Yeah. Yeah. So you told me before I was like, I've heard good things about this documentary. What do you think about the Bee Gees watching the Bee Gees? And you were like, eh, I don't really like them. (laughs) Does that still stand? Uh, Um, Why are you not a Bee Gees fan? Okay, here's here's my thing about the Bee Gees. Early Bee Gees, I don't really have a problem with. Uh, To Love Somebody is like a great song. I like their early stuff. It's when the falsetto came in, when the disco kind of vibe, um, you know, how to mend a broken heart, like when that era started, that's sort of where I check out. Okay. And then did the part about disco demolition night and how disco kind of squashed the Bee Gees, did that give you kind of a greater understanding of why maybe you also are not into this era of Bee Gees because of how, I guess, like commodified or how overplayed or, you know, like that one DJ that was like, we all wanted to die because that's all we were hearing. Do Mm -hmm. you think it's just, if you were to never, ever have heard those songs before in your life and you listen to the entire Bee Gees discography that you would go, jive talking is a banger. (laughs) Okay. I'm not completely against all disco. I do have disco songs I very much enjoy. To me, they're like the soft rock of disco. It's just a little too soft for me, I guess. And um, I'm not, I've never been a falsetto fan. I don't like Rush either. I know it's like the most anti-Canadian thing I could ever say, but they were never, I just, it's just that vocal thing is just not, I'm just not into it. I don't know. I But I I can appreciate that they knew how to write hits. For sure. Actually, the whole discussion about disco is... So this whole thing for me is like pretty fun. And the two things that struck me as like pretty tragic about this documentary was Andy Gibb, uh, his situation. Yes. And disco demolition and just talking about disco in general so i was gonna like wait till we got to it to recommend this but for anybody who wants a good deep dive and to understand better the disco demolition night or just the evolution of disco in general i would recommend the podcast you're wrong about and then the title of the episode is disco demolition night and so as you said, Links, oh, yeah, I, I like some disco. Well, you should and we all should because disco is fucking awesome. <laughs> what it was and at the beginning and what it represented and the kind of music that it actually was. And then it was like Disco Duck and Saturday Night Fever. 
that greed, like that one guy in the documentary that was saying like, well, as anything, when greed gets a hold of it yeah, and they realize that this can sell, then they water it down and they water it down and it's not even disco. But then people who don't know where disco originated from sing that that's disco and then mm-hmm. the demolition happened and it just turned into this big you know issue like a a huge race and an issue surrounding race and uh, homophobia and so it's almost more than we could like get into on this episode so I would really highly recommend to go and listen to your wrong about disco demolition night and then actually get back to the root of like what real (laughs) nice yeah yeah because there's some like great great disco songs out there but yeah they were never i i it's funny too because like yeah when i think of disco bj's bg's aren't really the first thing i think of i think of like all the greats but like um i i i get why like you said they were so oversaturated that a lot of people just know that right it was whitewashed it was exactly um yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Let's get into the Bee Gees. How can you mend a broken heart? Yes. Honestly, it starts off live clip of 1979. I had goosebumps <laughs> right away. I I, I imagine um, I would have been a big fan back then. I, I may have been one of the screaming girls. Yeah, there was back then. Like, just the fact, well, too, of broken heart. That's kind of, I don't know, that's a little bit cheesy for me, but. For sure. Early, early stuff, though. I'm for that it. Meal just came. So exciting. I barely <laughs> leave my house. I do. I go, to, I go to the store maybe once a month, and it's so exciting when the mail pulls up. I really liked like, that it opened with. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I shouldn't face my window when I run <laughs> But that's the only thing that's going to happen this entire time. That's the mail thing, I swear. Well, I was going to say, I really liked how it kind of opened with them as kids. And they kind of just got like straight into it where it was like they mentioned their their dad was very ambitious and like made them very ambitious and kind of raised them to believe like you go and you make it happen. It's not just going to happen. Like step up and do it right yeah their dad was their manager and their mom always kept the peace between them um barry got a guitar when he was nine which made his younger brothers who are twins five so they all started singing and playing music together when they were five and nine years old they were born to do this they were born to be stars they were born to put those falsetto voices together (laughs) yeah i didn't know that they were actually from australia I didn't realize that either. I thought they were British, so that was... Uh... Yeah. Well, I guess they spent some time in Manchester, then they moved to Australia, then they returned to the UK in 67. Mm-hmm. There were quite a few good... Um, I, don't, I didn't... I mean, I was going to say cameo, but it's not a cameo when you are interviewed for... Oh, yes. Let's talk about some of the people that they interview. All right. Clapton. That one was interesting right now uh the person that i thought was really fun that they interviewed was noel gallagher yeah it was um i i liked a few of the things that he had to say for sure 
Yeah. Like the Bee Gees early sound was a lot like the Beatles. They had that classic 60, 60s guitar. And then obviously he would know that brothers singing, he compared it to their voices as an instrument that mm-hmm. no money could buy. Yes. Yes. We see that with the Wilson sisters of heart. Um, we see that with the Simon sisters when Carly Simon spoke yeah. about that kind First of stuff. First aid kit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Blood the Harmony Jonas Brothers, like uh, one of the Jonas Brothers was interviewed for this as well. I liked how they were talking to other sibling musicians about how special it is when you are in a band with your brother or your sister and those harmonies, like they say, it's just undeniable like you're there those voices are born to sing together right like yeah uh, yeah and it's also not easy right because what he was saying is that your world experience is only each other's world experience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we yeah so uh, we had noel gallagher who else did we have mark ronson Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. he seemed Uh, pretty excited uh very excited just to be there to talk about the Bee Gees. I liked learning about the individual brothers at first. I didn't know I, I who was who, so I just did a Google of, okay, which brother is which? And then it showed up as four brothers, and I was like, what the hell? I thought it was – I thought the Bee Gees were three. And then it was interesting learning about young Andy, the fourth brother that was, you know, 10 years younger than, or more than, than the youngest guys and who eventually ended up having a career of his own. It was, and also it ended up being a really tragic story. Mm-hmm. 30 years old and, um, you know, died from a heart attack from complications from drug use. And there was that heartbreaking scene where he's, like, wishing his fans a Merry Christmas on video and you just see the ruin in his face and in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Such a beautiful guy, you know, and so much promise. But as we always know, fame and fortune and all that stuff does not equal happiness. And it's interesting, too, because he had his brother's experience – um, almost as a guide, but I maybe also just the fact that he was a couple years younger and separated from them when they were learning so much about themselves. Um, maybe that also had an effect, right? Because they split up originally in 1969. And as they were talking about, and Noel Gallagher was mentioning too, sort of like all of the egos coming out because you're coming out into the world you're finally an adult yet you're still together and you all want the spotlight and everything and they had so many hits so fast they had hit single within five months you know Paul McCartney and Jane Asher were showing up to their shows they had hits you know they what did Robin said or one of the guys said that he had five Rolls Royces by the time he was 21 it's unimaginable like to me even now like at you know in my 30s to have that kind of success all of a sudden would be like such a shock but to get it when you're literally still a kid eh, no wonder they acted like kids like for instance just like oasis the brothers talking into the tabloids about each other and you know taking that route for a while thankfully they weren't like oasis though and um i guess that was um what's his name's was it maurice bringing the them 
or was it Robin who would bring them together? I think it was. Um, I thought it was Morris because yeah. he seemed I like the. So. Yeah, it was Barry and Robin who really the I think and everything. Yeah, and fought for the spotlight because I think they both had the voice, mm-hmm. and Morris was just kind of there providing that, like, okay, well, what they're not. Putting in, I'll kind of round it off with that three. And then he seemed to be more of the happy-go-lucky um, kind of guy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was interesting. What did you think about how the documentary portrayed the influences that the Bee Gees had? So, uh, particularly their them being influenced by Motown and Black music. Do you think that they... Um, did a good job by highlighting like black artists and all those falsettos uh, for that you were influenced by? Do you think there could have been more of that? Um, I, I, there can always be more of that, but I'm glad they didn't just completely gloss over it. Like that wasn't a thing, right? Like I'm glad they did make sure to give credit saying, you know, we didn't come up with this. We were influenced by other people. We sought out producers who worked with other people that we wanted to sound like right so I did appreciate that part for sure how about you what did you think about that um I appreciated it and I feel like and this is speaking with like complete honesty as um you know a white girl who grew up and like you know, Northern Ontario that I've been working my way backwards with this kind of stuff, you know, and like retracing like where music truly comes from and, and who invented what and how, and I'm so into that right now. Do you know what I mean? Like there's so much information packed into like Aretha Franklin's documentary, for example. And then even, so I'm reading that right now. And then she showed up because the Bee Gees, were produced at the same studio that she was produced at because they were trying to like kind of reproduce something. And um, if I would honestly give anything to go back to stacks again Uh, and just, and not rush it and just, yeah. Absorb it all. Yeah. Cause there's so much information there. Like you said, there's just so many artists you can't, you can't retain it all in one go. You know what I thought? Um, I thought that that was his name, Mikhail Riley, the music professor that mm-hmm. was uh, interviewed for this. I really liked it, like his perspective on things, and you know how he talked about how, um, you know, he didn't know where Massachusetts was, but then the Bee Gees made him feel like he could. Um, it was like his hometown, or whatever. That, or like yeah. that was his hometown. But then he also talked a lot about. I wrote down all of the names um, of the bands that the Bee Gees were inspired by. But I really liked his perspective on things. And I thought, ooh, maybe one day you and I will be interviewed for such a documentary as music professors or experts. I say for sure that's going to happen mm-hmm. one day. Do you think? Side note. There are two side note things I have written down here. The only thing I have in bold caps is the haircuts. Mm. Can we take a moment to talk about their... This might be a controversial take, but I loved it even (laughs) into the 80s. Even into the 80s, I loved what those guys did with their hair. I mean, what they still had 
left of it. <laughs> I thought it was great. And, you know, so it's like interesting when you see this guy in like the 60s and 70s with this like long flowing hair. I fucking love it so much. And then you see them in like 2017, like talking <laughs> about this documentary and they're just like a dad. You're like, I would never recognize yeah. you on the street. You are my dad. Do you, and there's, I have another question for you. I think I have more of appreciation for the 80s now too. Whereas like before we were like the 80s is all cheesy. And then now you're like, do you see the fucking haircuts that like you're seeing on Instagram right now? It's exactly 1984. That's very true. It's all cool again. So I think I have a better appreciation of like not only 80s haircuts, but like the earrings that they're wearing and the weird outfits. Like I, I actually love it. Do you think Barry looks like Billy Ray Cyrus? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A hotter Billy Ray Cyrus. But yeah, I was He's definitely sexy. getting those vibes. If you say so. He's a sexy man. You don't think so? I mean, I I didn't no. even know you could debate that. He's perfectly, I don't know. Hot. <laughs> I think Andy's the hottest one. Which yeah. is why he's yeah, yeah. the teen sensation. For sure. Yeah. Um, There was one guy in the studio that I really liked named Abe Albie, the hippie. Do you remember him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He seemed like a fun time. Like, I want to know Albie. Yeah. And then was he interviewed as an adult? He seemed totally yeah. normal. Yeah. 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 It was a shock to see him, you know, barefooted hippie freak in the photos. And then they would cut to him, just another, you know, older man talking about music. Yeah. But I like how, mm-hmm. like, at that point, they were trying to change their sound. They had just reformed they're just kind of starting to go into the dance disco thing yeah and they were like trying to figure out their sound and I just love that it came together when like this dirty hippie showed up and they're like we just needed his ears and like it all just worked out then right like yeah, for sure. There was a lot of moving parts in who helped them out with their sound. And they had uh, other, they had really good, it wasn't just the three brothers, they had really good guitarists. And they had that really cute uh, guy on piano. Mm-hmm. He was really sweet. The way he talked about touring with them and how, you know, he would come up with some piano songs for them, thinking about how they could sing it. And uh, was he the one? It, when they were talking about how deep is your love when he was like yeah. my heart was in that song yeah oh, exactly yeah. He was so exactly yeah. and so while they had all of those like really I think good people around them helping them out too um you just have to also put it to the fact that like they were good songwriters and then that came out later too in the 80s which we'll talk about when we get there about how they proved themselves to be good songwriters, not only for themselves, but for other people because they had that talent. And that's where Chris Martin from Coldplay came in and he started talking about how, you know, on songwriting, surfers don't make the waves, fishermen don't make the fish and songs are just given. They're just, they're just brought down from you and then you're the vessel that. And um, let's talk about that for a minute because it was really fascinating to see their songwriting process because it really is so different from most artists that you hear about where they would just kind of go into the studio not even with an idea and just you know tinker around with their instruments and pull out things and like work as a hive mind and within you know 
two hours they had it all down like it was just like immediate for them which is so fascinating and unique and again I feel like that's something that could only work with siblings because you have to have that like forever knowledge of how all of you work you know yeah and it's like we don't have lyrics but we're gonna go in the studio and someone's gonna be on the piano and then once you've play you stumble upon something that we like we're gonna riff off that and then we're gonna add lyrics and then uh, a couple weeks later we have a hit song and three weeks after that we have an entire album and then in one year they released three albums Mm -hmm. so yeah that's pretty cool yeah i have a question for you Mm -hmm. what did you think about the portrayal of the wives or the Um, contribution they made to this documentary I feel like they didn't really make much of a contribution and I would have definitely liked to have seen more. It was sweet that they showed, you know, each of them getting married and everything. Um, And one of the wives was interviewed, you know, which was nice. But um, yeah, I just, I wanted more of them, obviously, because that's what I love. Yeah. Yeah. I looked it up and um, Barry is the only one that's still alive, unfortunately. And he and Linda are still together. They've been together for, it was 38 or 48 years. I wrote down they have five kids. My goodness. Yeah. So that's a pretty good, that's a pretty perfect rock and roll love story. And was she interviewed? Her voice was only. Yeah. I didn't think we saw her. But yeah, yeah, I would have. I would love to know more about her. Yeah, they're like, I don't want to be on camera. I'm just one just thing, voice me. Yeah, one thing though. Um, just flashback to past episodes, and Moses had a fling. Mm-hmm. I thought about her. Yeah, with um, Morris right before Lulu. Right before Lulu, I think Lulu kind of messed that up. <laughs> yeah, and of course, Lulu married him. Yeah, yeah, and then that didn't last too long, and then he married someone after that, and then she was featured quite a lot in the documentary. Yeah. Um, I wrote her name down. Should I find it? I feel like I don't want to be one of those people that's like, and he married this woman, and I don't know what her name is, because that's literally the opposite of what we do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I wrote them down here. (laughs) Okay, so Morris married Lulu, Barry married Linda Gray, which gave me total Priscilla Presley vibes. Um, Yovan. Who's that? That's Maurice's other wife. Oh, okay. Maybe I didn't write her name down. Uh, Robin married sure Molly Hollis, and I think Linda Gray was they they described her as the former Miss Edinburgh. <laughs> oh, Yvonne mm. was after Lulu. What did you say? Yeah. I said Yovan. Yeah. Oh, you said Yovan. <laughs> Yvonne. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. We got him. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea, 
Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. So yeah, now we get into disco, and I guess that's them at their height, really, isn't it? They'd already sort of had a wave, the first wave, and then they had their second wave, and this was like their third. Yes, yes. And the falsetto came in, so what I realized that they weren't the first ones to do this. Um, you know, music, the the guy that I liked, the music professor, quoted, music doesn't happen in a vacuum. The falsetto is a black tradition, and that was shown by bands such as the Delphonics and the Stylistics. Yeah, the Delphonics are so good. So then once they realized that Barry could do this, and I laughed at the part where, I don't know if it was in Nights on Broadway, where they called it the screaming part, where Barry is like screaming. <laughs> but then they ended up writing songs for that voice. And then, of course, there was Saturday Night Fever. And then I think they just snowballed each other because – the movie was successful because of the song. The song was successful because of the movie. And it just got like bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the BGs were everywhere to the point where like the DJs were like, oh, I can't handle it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Too much. Too much BGs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's um, also an interesting thing where it's like even your own fans turn on you because they've had enough of you. They can't get away from you type of thing. Yep, that's true. That's true. There was probably that kind of overplay, too much of a good thing, and then Disco Demolition Night, which was an absolute disaster. Um, yeah. Yeah. So at that time, though, the the brothers were kind of on a large tour for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and then- Andy got to participate in this one. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, He, Andy had three number ones in a row, and he was number one on the charts when the Bee Gees were, like, number 58 on the charts. So, yeah, I I liked a few things, like uh, how they spliced, they they told us how they spliced together the drum beat in the studio when they didn't have a drummer. Mm Mm-hmm. And you you just even knew before they met, and they did this on purpose. They didn't tell you what song that they were working on, but they were like, we were working on a song, and we didn't have a drummer, so we found a song that we liked that he'd done before. We took that one part, we looped it, and then you hear it, and you're like, that's staying alive. And you're like, well, okay. I didn't realize like how cool that was. And then I also didn't know that, that that song was influenced by New York in 1977. Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting... I didn't know that either, but it makes sense. Yeah. When you hear it. I enjoyed that. All right. I'm on to my last page of notes. (laughs) Mm, 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 mm. Okay. The Bee Gees Spirits Have Flown is the only Bee Gees album I own. But now that I know that 
that's where they are. Like, cause I'm, I'm, I think I maybe listened to it once. I would actually go back and get like the first two or three Bee Gees albums because I, I'm kind of on this. I'm with you on this. Yeah. I really like their early stuff and yeah, early stuff. kind of fall apart here with you as well. But I'm glad that to have an understanding of why. And I like what the BJs did. They were like, all right, you guys need a break from us? Fine. Yeah, we'll go behind the scenes now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it was a, I, that's another thing that we didn't mention that I really appreciated was how um, they stayed active and how, what you know, their first letdown is what turned them into a, a full band. They're like, okay, let's go this route. And then when this was done, they didn't, you know, go back into a depression or whatever. They were like, okay, what's our next move? Mm-hmm. They they just progressed. They definitely progressed as a band yeah, over and yeah. over again. So they were they wrote songs for Barbara Streisand. Diane Warwick, Diana Ross. They wrote Islands in the Stream. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Uh, Celine Dion. <laughs> and then beside that, because there was a clip of them, like a video of them with Celine Dion, I wrote down and I underlined it. I loved their mid-80s Lukes. <laughs> so you underlined it. Well, so did I. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't realize that they were still so active um, writing all these pop songs after they kind of faded from the public eye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I have a quote that I actually wrote down that I really appreciated from Barry Gibb. He said, we didn't always connect, but we stayed around. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's an important lesson. You know, it's like, it's not about always being at the top. It's, it's a long journey you know, stick around type of thing. Yes, exactly. And yeah, they they did, you know. Uh, unfortunately, Andy died in 1988 at the age of 30. After that, Morris dedicated his life to sobriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, he died in 2003 from complications after surgery. And Robin died in 2012 of cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the band was uh, inducted into the 1997 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, in 2017, Ed Sheeran sang the song "Massachusetts," introduced by John Travolta, uh, the scariest looking man in Hollywood. <laughs> it looked like Linda was sitting there with Barry at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it did at that tribute. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all I got. That's all I got too. <laughs> I would like to rewatch this with my dad. I I watched this the whole time. I was like, I miss my dad so much. Aww. Oh my god, I just want to watch it with him. I turned to my dad and said, "Do you want to watch this with me?" And he was like, "Oh god, no." I knew you were gonna <laughs> say that. I, you know what? I know Daniel enough at this point. <laughs> I knew he wasn't gonna like want to watch this or like again it, so. he's just not a, you know a bg's fan but um he did also say like oh i really liked like when they first came out like i remember them in the 60s uh you know to love somebody like that so era. this is what i don't know who that guy was but he was the one commenting on disco demolition i really liked him um mm-hmm. so he was saying 
you know, disco was black music. It was queer music. And then Disco Demolition Night became a racist, homophobic book burning, right? Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening is that since it ended up getting so whitewashed and taken over by straight people, and then as the guy said, greed ruined disco, some executive in diapers decided to put the, to put the name disco on everything, right? Yeah. So then once people think that that's what disco is, then they think that they, they hate disco, but they hate what it has become, which isn't really what it is. So then what ended up happening was that that dumb DJ said, well, let's have a, let's burn all these records and you can get in for what, 60 cents or whatever, if you bring a disco record. And what ended up happening was that people weren't even bringing in disco records. They were bringing in records made mostly by black people. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening after that, anti-disco became anti-BGs. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I think also just – you're right too. It was just like – it was too much. It was like too much BGs. People were just like, ah. They couldn't just go on Spotify. They couldn't just like put on their iTunes thing or just decide not to listen to the radio. If you wanted music, you're like listening to what's on the radio, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so completely different thing than now for sure. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed that. I definitely am looking forward to watching my darling Viv. Oh yeah, or too. my darling Vivian. That one looks really, really good and deserved for her. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure where to watch that one at the moment, but that looks and it looks like we're gonna get some stuff out of it that wasn't maybe mentioned in any of the books or in her book and especially because it's like people that were closest to her taking an intimate look at mm-hmm. her so that and one's going to be you know, time and perspective yeah yeah so that's going to be awesome yeah cool all right well this was fun um thank you everybody so much for listening for being here i hope your year started off nicely we love you we do love you goodbye goodbye muses is researched edited and produced by us chantella mew and lynx o'leary Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new. Or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.